0: guys we're back to romans chapter 11 i want to read you um verses 25 through 27 that's the section we're in uh but i'm going to do something uh equally as boring as last week so um congratulations here we go lest you be wise in your own conceit i want you to understand this mystery brothers a partial hardening has come upon israel until the fullness of the gentiles has come in And in this way, all Israel will be saved as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Now, guys, uh, you may recall that last week I spent our time together telling you that the word all does not mean all. Uh, That is that the word all cannot be understood as referring to each and every. Um, It is. I I showed you all those passages last week. I hope you'll remember some of those. But um, the the, um, the statement in verse 26 is that the bulk of Israel is going to be saved. But um, again, the term all uh, cannot be forced, each and every cannot be forced in that term. It is all without distinction, not all without exception. Okay, that's what we did last week. Now, I know that's, uh, that's, that jars some of you in terms of your whole theological system, and, and uh, I understand that. Um, <clears throat> we'll see if we can do a little more about that tonight. But, um, guys, if you look at verse 26 and you say, In this way all Israel will be saved. At this point, what I'm supposed to do with you is take you into some predictive eschatological discussion about the role of Israel in the future times. That's, that's what would normally be done with you in this text, that all Israel will be saved. Okay, let me tell you what Israel's going to do, the, the role that Israel is going to play, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm not going to do that with you. Um, I am here to tell you that my main concern tonight is not about the future. It's not about something prophetic. Very frankly, I don't think this text is primarily concerned with something prophetic or eschatological. In fact, I know it's not. Um, now, I, go back with me to Romans chapter 9, and let me show you something. But guys, I, I don't expect you to remember this. This was two and a half years ago. <laughs> but I, I don't mean to be cute. I, I'm just telling you, this is when we covered Romans 9, chapter, six, uh, chapter 9, verse 6. But I, want you, I did tell you back then, two and a half years ago, that Romans 9, 10, and 11 are a section they're dealing with an issue, and, and um, uh, it's introduced for you in 9.6. But it is not as though the Word of God has failed. What Paul is trying to do in these three chapters is demonstrate and support and correct any fallacious assumption that might assume that somehow God's Word cannot be trusted And the illustration of it not being able to be trusted is that Israel is now unbelieving. The bulk of Israel doesn't believe in the gospel. And so how can you say that the word of God is is trustworthy? And so Paul spends three chapters trying to to tell you that that's a mistaken notion. And he does it in numerous ways all through chapter 9, all through chapter 10. And then the the final stroke of his argument is here in chapter 11, where he says, and by the way, let me let you in on something. That's what he says in verse 25. There's been a partial hardening. Not not that the hardening is partial, but the time period is partial. That is, it's a hardening that is temporary um, so that the Gentiles can come in um, until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. After after the, the, the fullest of the Gentiles, all Israel is going to be saved. Which is his final argument to show you that God's commitment to Israel was not broken. That it was a steadfast, everlasting covenant. Now, I'm saying to you guys that the issue in, in chapter 11 is not predictive. It's not about the future. It's not about eschatology, although it does give you a piece of what's going to happen in the future. The major point is the faithfulness of God. The faithfulness of God to his word, the faithfulness of God to his promises, the faithfulness of God to the covenant. And and just to just to give you a little, I don't know, I hope it's... Uh, appetizer. Look at verse 28. As regards the gospel, they are enemies. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake. We'll come to this next week. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. It's the word irrevocable that I wanted you to see. God hasn't broken his word. His gifts and his calling are irrevocable. This, This is about Paul trying to demonstrate God's faithfulness. That's next week. That is that we're going to talk about the faithfulness of God. Here, what he does after having said that all Israel will be saved, and as I said, we spent that whole week trying to let you know what all meant. The bulk of Israel will be saved. And then he, he proves his argument, or he, he substantiates his case from the Old Testament. That's what the second half of verse 26 says. And verse 27, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my, com- uh, my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Now, guys, you don't know how many problems are in that, are in that quote. <laughs> because, um, let me, Paul is primarily quoting from Isaiah 59 verses 20 and 21. If you look in the margins of your Bible, you will see that this is primarily taken from Isaiah 59, but Paul quotes it very loosely. He doesn't quote it exactly. Um, Can I can I show you just what what I mean? Um, See if you can find Isaiah 59 real fast. Um, It's of course to the left. Isaiah 59, this is what he's quoting, Isaiah 59, verse 20, at least, essentially. Now, now keep your finger on Romans 11, let me show you. Verse 20, and a Redeemer will come to Zion. Now go to Romans 11. The Deliverer will come from Zion. Do you see the difference? One, it says the deliverer will come to. The other says the deliverer will come from. (laughs) Now, guys, uh, that's just one of the issues. I'm just telling you, it's one of the issues. I'm not going to try to unravel all those things for you. Because there's about about four issues in the way that Paul uses the Old Testament here. Now, that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. Uh, I, I said to you that this text is primarily about the faithfulness of God, and that's next week. But tonight, what I, what I would really like to help you do is to is to really appreciate, enjoy, and understand your own Bibles, especially the Old Testament. That, that's my primary goal tonight, so we'll get to that in just a minute. But let me just, let me go back to the, 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 the uh, quote from the Old Testament. Let's take it at its face value right here at Romans 11, and let me point out just a couple of things to you. Um uh, notice, I guess the biggest thing that I want you to see is the last clause of verse 27. And this will be my covenant with them. That is, when all Israel is saved, here's the covenant, when I take away their sins. Now, now guys, Paul is working, uh, he is alluding to a work of redemption, a work of salvation. He even says in 26, all Israel will be saved. My point is this. This has nothing to do with their political position. It has nothing to do with their occupation of Palestine. It has nothing to do with their geopolitical influence in the world today. This is not about Israel's role in the League of Nations. It's about a saving work that God is going to do to Israel. And all of this discussion about... Um, God has given them the right everlastingly to Palestine and to that land and to the Gaza Strip and to the Golan Heights and all that business, ladies and gentlemen. That's not what this is about. It's about a saving work. That is, all Israel will be saved, not established as the leader among nations, not uh, uh, dominating over um, the Palestinians. That's not what this is about. It's that they will be saved, and you'll notice that what he's, he's the way he's going to do that is he's going to deal with their sins. So, so get that first, guys. All this political implication, you'll have to get that from, from the signs of the Times magazine or something, because that's not what this is about. God is going to do a work that is going to save them, not promote them to geopolitical influence. That's that's key. Not a word in here about some kind of national prominence or any occupation of Palestine. You see, it's about saving them. Now, um, I also want you to note that the deliverer, when he comes, what he's going to do is banish ungodliness. That is, he's going to deal with sin. My point is simply this. Uh, the saving work that he's going to do for Israel is going to address their sin, just like it does with me and you. It's not some kind of second or special salvation that he's going to give to Israel. It's going to be just like yours. He's going to deal with their sin just like he has dealt with our sin. Um, Notice also, this deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness, etc. That this this revival among Israel does not come from within Israel. It doesn't come. It's a deliverer that's going to be sent. That is, it's not something that that Israel works up. It's something that God sends. He's going to send them a deliverer. He's going to do something in the in the in the language of verse twenty four, um, contrary to nature. Again, it's the same thing that He did to you and to me to save us. He did this contrary to nature thing, and that's what he's going to do here. This is not an Israel up thing. This is a God down thing. It is God that hardened them in verse 25. It is God who will change their hearts by softening them um, in this thing that he's going to do somewhere off in the distant future or not too distant future. Okay? So those are just a couple of things that I wanted you to see about the text. Um, after, After centuries... Yea, millennia of opposition to Christ, Israel will be saved. The bulk of Israel will be saved. Not even to mention all of the mistreatment at the hands of Christians that are going to have to be overcome. That is, not only does does Judaism hate Christ, they hate us. So, the, the, uh, the mistreatment at the hands of the Christian church will have to be overcome and their opposition to Christ and him crucified that will be have to, have to be overcome but in the face of all that god is going to accomplish the salvation of the bulk of israel in the face of all that opposition now that's what's in those text the, that, those one and a half verses now i told you that what i what i my my real goal tonight though is to teach you how to appreciate and enjoy and and and, and interpret hopefully your Old Testaments, so that's that's a harder that's a harder job than explaining those words. Guys, the the thing that made me think about this and doing this tonight is because Paul handles the Old Testament in a way that is extraordinary. <laughs> that is, it's un, it, it was um, you would have never known what Paul had in mind. No, you would have never known what Isaiah had in mind the way that Paul uses it in Romans 11. Okay? Isaiah wrote something, uh, you know, um, 1,500 years before Paul, and um, he said something that Paul uses later, and, and if you'd have been reading Isaiah 59, you'd have never dreamed, oh, my, oh, my. That's not what that's meaning, is it? Now, what, what I want to try and give you is a is a little bit of better grasp of the, your whole Old Testament. Okay? And I want to do that with primarily one illustration. Because it, it, it relates to this particular theme. Okay, guys. Let's, let's, let's do a little bit of a biblical history right now. Okay? Um, uh, you know, the, 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 the first dude was Abraham. Okay, you know, in Abraham, and he had Isaac and Jacob, and you know, um, uh, and, and Jacob, and then we're going to skip Isaac, we're going to come down to Jacob, and Jacob had those 12 sons, remember? And then um, uh, the, one of the sons is a guy by the name of Joseph, you remember that? And uh, the other guys didn't like him, so they sold him into slavery, he went down to Egypt. Okay, you still with me? Uh, you still remember that Old Testament course you took? Okay, uh, so now they're down in Egypt. Uh, they got all the they got all the grain, you know, and everybody's starving. And, and Joseph said, "Well, I'll just move down here." So Israel moves down to Egypt. Okay, but then Joseph dies. So did Pharaoh. So Israel is stuck in Egypt. Okay. And remember all the terrible things that Egypt did and, and, you know, um, uh, brought them into slavery and took away the straw and, and really treated them horribly and all that business. You got all that. And then Moses is born. Moses is born, um, yeah. Moses is born and he does a bad thing. He kills the Egyptian guy and, and he has to run and then God comes into the burning bush and says, going back down there because I need you to deliver Israel. Remember that? Okay, so we're, we're right about here, all right? Uh, Moses is back, and then we get these ten plagues, ten big plagues, all right? Remember that? Uh, and as the last one is the uh, the killing of the firstborn and the Passover and all that. And with that, Israel is liberated. Israel comes out, but she has this big thing at the Red Sea. Remember that? And the Egyptian army is you know boom, 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 boom. and 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 there they are. What are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? And he says you know stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And he opens the sea and Charlton Heston walks through. And and uh, uh, but Israel you know and and they cover all them up and and Israel and Egypt is Israel's delivered. All right. And then they're supposed to go to the Promised Land. You remember that? Supposed to go to the Promised Land, but they didn't. They sent out the twelve spies and that didn't work out so good. And uh, Joshua and Caleb come back and they give a good report and the other ten give a bad report. Remember that? And God says, "Well, watch this. I'm going to put you out in that wilderness for 40 years. So for 40 years, you know, uh, the, you know, they're wandering around out there. And then after that 40 years, Moses is about to die, and Joshua uh, arrives at the. I mean, Joshua's the, the top dog now. You know, he's he's leading things. And and they cross another river. What's the name of that river? The Jordan." They, they, not the, not the Red Sea, they cross, there's two big water partings, and this, they cross the Jordan, and they come into the promised land, and their first battle is Jericho. They, they battle at Jericho, and, you know, they, they take over, um, basically the promised land, all right? And then, and then they start complaining, we want a king, you know, we want to be like everybody else, and, and so their first, uh, king is a guy by the name of Saul, um, and he wasn't too good. And so, ultimately, they get rid of him. And David, everybody knows David. David's the king. David does things for Israel that Israel never dreamed were possible. I mean, she becomes, for the first time, she becomes a national power. And then he dies. And, um, you know, uh, by the way, the next king is, you know, this guy, his name is Solomon. That's, who was his mother? Bathsheba, <laughs> the one that was supposed to be his wife, which is all very interesting to me. But, uh, you anyway, know, Solomon is the, is the king now. And Solomon, you know, uh, God comes to him and says, what do you want? And he says, um, well, I want wisdom to lead God's people. And um, 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 God says, well, since you asked for that, not for money. Um, I'm going to give you more wisdom than any man's ever had and more and, and more money and everything else. And so Solomon's reigning and he's got all this stuff. And the Queen of Sheba comes to pay him a visit and the Queen of Sheba says, I've never seen anything like this in my whole life. And, and then, um, but anyway, Solomon goes the way of all the earth and he dies too. Now, here's where things get really dicey. What happens to Israel after Solomon dies? What? Down the toilet. <laughs> That's it, John. That's right. That that is that is Old Testament uh, literacy right there. They went down the toilet. <laughs> the, the kingdom gets split up over 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 two kings. You know, you got um, you got Rehoboam in the south, and you got Jeroboam in the north. All right. All right, and they're you know, and then they're fighting all the time, and yada yada yada, and you know, it never never does. They're, in fact, Rehoboam goes out; and he's going to get the other ten tribes back, and and God says, "Don't do that; get back to Jerusalem." And so, so they fight the whole time, and then then then, then they start fighting other people. Then, uh, it, um, sooner or later, a, a country from the north comes and takes over the northern kingdom. Who was that, by the way? No, it was not Babylon; it was Assyria. Assyria conquers the northern kingdom. Only later does Babylon conquer the southern kingdom. Okay, we're getting to the point. <laughs> in case you were wondering. Um, so the the Judah, Judah, or the southern kingdom, Jerusalem, uh, in Jerusalem, Judah, they're all the same thing. The southern kingdom, that's all the same thing, is overrun. Finally, God says, uh, by the way, there was 150 years, this was like um Oh, I'm guessing here. I think this was 722 B.C., something like that. And then this one was like uh, 650 B.C., something like that. Um, 150 years between their destructions. But Israel gets dragged into the Babylonian captivity. That's what I've been trying to get to. Everybody with me? Everybody know that? All this history here? And so Israel is in Babylon for 70 years. Seventy years. Okay, we're getting close to Romans 11 now. Israel is in, is in Babylon for 70 years. And all the prophets come back and they say, now listen, God has judged you. Um, even Jeremiah says, you know, get happy there in Babylon. You know, chapter 29 when he says, I know the plans that I have for Israel, not, not of harm but of good. So just sink into Babylon there. To, uh, pursue her peace and her prosperity because if you pursue Babylon's peace and prosperity you to pursue your own so I want you to I want you to get with this and then one day Daniel Daniel's praying chapter 9 Daniel's praying and, and, he, and he's reading the prophecy of Jeremiah and Jeremiah says you know it's going to be 70 years in Babylon and, Jer- and Daniel reads it by the way Daniel's one of those exiles that got dragged up here to Babylon remember that and so he's reading Jeremiah and it says 70 years. And he starts to feed 234 to 56. We're there. And so he prays. He says, God, it's been the 70 years. Deliver us. And so he does. By the way, I mean, he doesn't do it because of Jeremiah's prayer. He does it because that's what he's determined is 70 year in exile. The Babylonian captivity. Remember, Babylon is destroyed. Remember those handwriting on the wall things? Those Nebuchadnezzar's out of the picture and now it's the Median Persian Empire. And and the, um, I think, I forget which, who, who came from. I think the Medians were first and then the Persians. I think. But um, uh, the, the king of the Median Persian Empire at that moment was a guy by the name of, what? Cyrus. His name was Cyrus. And interestingly enough, Isaiah predicted this guy 150 years before he's born. Even by name. You can find his name in the book of Isaiah in chapter 40, I think. That God is going to raise up Cyrus. And he's going to let Israel go from from, from Babylon. Um, after the 70 years of captivity. Is that not phenomenal? Anyway, but here's the point, guys. So Cyrus lets him go. Remember, remember all those books? Nehemiah. I mean, Ezra Nehemiah. Those books are about... The exiles coming out of Babylon back to Jerusalem. And Nehemiah comes and says, well, you know, we're going to have to rebuild that wall. Look at that wall. You got a wall here. So he rebuilds the wall. Remember all that? And so Jerusalem is rebuilt. And then, of course, uh, that's about the last you hear of it in in the Old Testament, that uh, it is rebuilt. And then about the next, you got this 400-year period of silence. It's called the intertestamental period between the Old Testament and the New Testament. 400 years of silence. And then, of course, Jesus breaks on the scene. But by that time, Israel has pretty much you know, gotten things. The temple's been rebuilt. Herod the Great has rebuilt the temple. A temple, not the temple, but he's rebuilt the temple. And Jesus arrives in Jerusalem to a fairly thriving city. Okay, he got all that down. Now, guys, those are marvelously true, accurate, historical statements. Everything that I've recorded for you... You know, in my shoddy way, is historically accurate, historically true, historically verifiable, arch- um, not architecturally. Um. What's that? Archaeologically, archaeologically, archaeologically defensible. All that's, there. all that's there. It's all historically trustworthy. But there is more. Gang, this Babylonian thing, 70 years, and then being set free by a deliverer. What else do you think is that might be in there? Yes, it's a record of history. Yes, it's a, it's a, names are true, all that business. But, ladies and gentlemen, that whole Babylonian event is a type of what God is going to do in Israel according to Romans 11. Do you see that? What has God done? Well, he stuck him in a 70-year partial hardening. But it's more than 70 years. Actually, it's been about about uh, 2,500 at this point. But you know what God's going to do? He's going to raise up another deliverer. And you know what he's going to do then? He's not going to give them a city with a wall around it. He's going to give them forgiveness of their sins. He's going to do another Babylonian captivity. No, no. He's already doing another Babylonian captivity. But he's going to do another deliverance from a Babylonian captivity. But this time... They're going to get more than a city. They're going to get saved. So here I am, and I'm reading my Old Testament, and I'm saying, ooh, isn't that nice? Guy by the name of Cyrus, he was a medium person. He said, oh, okay, yeah, I got that. Uh, and he let them go back. Oh, and they, well, they went back to Jerusalem. How about that? And they got the, all the Ezra priests. And all, yeah, they got all that. And then they built that wall. That was very nice of Nehemiah to go back down there and do that. Yes, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, that's historically stimulating. But there's more there. And there's more that you were intended to derive from reading it. The truth of God is layered, folks. And what you're supposed to also be finding out is, okay, in this thing about the Babylonian captivity, where is Christ? Because, ladies and gentlemen, this book from front to back is about Jesus Christ. It's all about Him. Everything. It's all about Him. So, I, I, I watch Paul in Romans chapter 11. He takes the Old Testament and does some strange things that I would have never thought he would have done with it. But you know what? If I were reading it with the mind and control of the, of, and the eyes of the Holy Spirit like he was when he was writing Romans 11, you know what I would have seen in Isaiah 59? The same thing he did. I would have seen it too, but I didn't. And I don't. But guys, when we pick up the Old Testament, all those wonderful stories, and they're great stories. And if you know, you know, ladies and gentlemen, I can preach to you, I can preach to you a story out of the Bible and mislead you well, and that's not what I'm saying. I want to say. I can preach a Bible story unbiblically. That's what I want to say. (laughs) I don't have that in my notes. That was pretty good. Um, I can preach a Bible story unbiblically. Because everything is supposed to point somehow to Jesus. Somehow I'm supposed to find gospel. And if I take you to the story of David and Goliath, and I tell you how strong David was and how brave David was and how cunning he was when he threw that thing and killed that big old ugly guy and, and all that business, I've told you a Bible story, but I have not preached it. In a gospel way. Because ladies and gentlemen, I'm not supposed to point you to the bravery of David. I'm somehow to show you and trace somehow that you and I find Jesus in it. Because this book is about him. It's all about him. Now, when Isaiah writes his prophecy, I'm going to show you this. And then, I'm- When Isaiah writes his prophecy, Isaiah, b- by the way, even Isaiah didn't understand everything he was saying. Did you know that? Peter says that. Peter in his epistle says these guys that were writing it, they longed to understand it, but couldn't. But you now, you've got this whole thing and now you can understand. But anyway, when, when Isaiah is writing his prophecy in Isaiah 59, he is predicting, he's predicting this thing. But little did he know that there were the seeds and the germs and the and the, and the foundation of another deliverance and another deliverer. And it would be like this Babylonian thing, but it would be far greater. Because it would include and involve the forgiveness of their sins. Israel doesn't get a city with a wall around it. Israel gets salvation. That's the next one that's coming up. He's already done it once. He's just gonna do it again, but this time he's gonna save in it, guys. That's the way we're supposed to be reading our Old Testaments. That we, that we, and I want to show you two other quick things. And very frankly, guys, Romans chapter eleven is probably the best. Well, I should, I, I, I do this. So just cut it in half, and you've got the truth. It's probably the best thing that I know of to help you interpret the Old Testament. Let me show you what I mean. Go with me to the book of um, Zephaniah. I was reading this this morning and I thought, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. All right, I got to read this and we got to go pretty quick. We have um, we have eight minutes. Um, Verse 14, Zephaniah 3, um, 14. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, let your hands uh your, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will say, He will rejoice over you with gladness, he will quiet you with his love, he will exalt over you with singing, I will gather you from the morning festival, so that you may alone suffer on and, on and on and on and on. Now, ladies and gentlemen, when Zephaniah wrote this, what was he a- alluding to? He was alluding to this thing. But, but look at it closely. Look at... Um, where is it? Um, yes. V- verse 50. The King of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. Tell me this. Do you think after this deliverance, Israel ever feared evil again? Darn tootin' she did. I can tell you one time, it was about 1937. A guy by the name of Adolf. The the point is, ladies and gentlemen, yes, this is a true assessment of what's happening to Israel when she comes out of Babylon, but there's more. Its ultimate fulfillment is to be found in Romans chapter 11. Actually, that's not its fulfillment. That's just the prediction of its fulfillment. That's something that God's going to do later with Israel. It's there, but it's layered. It's in layer three. Let me show you one more and we'll we'll quit. This is in the next book, Zechariah chapter 10. Go there. No, it's chapter 12. Verse 10. Zechariah chapter 12. And guys, if you've never read this, I bet you have though. I I know you have read this. This is one of the most Christological pieces of, of statements In the Old Testament. And this is by (coughs) Zechariah. Who's that guy? I mean, he's certainly not up there with Isaiah and Jeremiah, but read it. Verse 10. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy so that when they look on me, on on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him. As one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps for a firstborn. On that day, the mourning in Jerusalem will be as great as the mourning for whatever. The land shall mourn each family by itself, the family of house of David, etc., etc. Um, but all I want you to see is there's coming a day when Israel is going to look upon him whom they have pierced. And Israel is going to mourn. What day is that? It's the day that Paul is telling you is coming. In Romans chapter 11, verse 26, 7, and 8, and 9. Guys, all all I'm trying to communicate, I'm trying to teach those three, that verse and a half. But I'm also trying to show you that your old, I mean, Paul is using the Old Testament under the inspiration of the Spirit and he uses it in a way that we wouldn't have we wouldn't have predicted and i'm telling you there's so much in the old testament that we don't enjoy because all we're interested in is the outline of the who what king was next and in how many years was the famine and, and how many gallons of water are in the dead sea and, and who cares because that book, ladies and gentlemen, from front to back, is about Jesus Christ. All of it. He's in there. He's on every page. Um, it's kind of easy to find him in the new. It's harder in the old. But he's there. Don't give up. He's there. Let's quit. Our Father, I thank you for the, 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 the book of this royal law that you placed in our hands. A book that is um, that is so explicative of Christ and who He is and what He did and what He's what He loves and what He is asking for and how we can meet Him and how can we can love Him and how we can honor Him and be like Him, Lord. Um, all of it designed to magnify grace that God has decided to save a people that didn't deserve anything from them except punishment. And yet, in His marvelous, amazing grace, He decided to save. He decided to save people like seated in this room. And so in response to that grand work that is contrary to nature that You have performed in us, would you make us people who look more and more like Jesus Christ in the way that we um, relate to our children our husbands our wives our money uh, rate, relate to the economy and, and politics and everything else Father might might the Lord Jesus be the dominant theme the dominant world view perspective uh, through which lens we look at everything that seems to me oh God to be the intent of that book if I have erred would you correct me so that your people might not be harmed but to the degree that this book shows Jesus give me grace and power to show dear friends and beloved Christians where he is what he looks like what he says and what he wants might all we do here establish Jesus Christ as the King of kings and Lord of lords. We pray, of course, all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks and good night.